Okay, so you can see from those introductions, we have a panel up here of three incredibly diverse uh, entrepreneurs who are leading successful, thriving businesses uh, in vastly different industries. Um, so I was hoping we could get an idea of how they got started and where they are now. So Lauren, if you could start off. Yeah. So the Flex Company makes a product called Flex, which is a menstrual disc. It's the most substantial innovation in period products since the 1930s. Flex was designed to be worn for 12 hours and to eliminate uncomfortable periods. And um, we've been shipping for less than two years, and we're at a $6 million ARR with just under 20 employees. And the idea came from? Oh, the idea. <laughs> the idea came from a very personal problem. I was getting yeast infections every single month for 15 years following my period. And um, I discovered that my infections were being caused by tampons. Okay. Thanks. And so, Lydia, um, the trucking marketplace business seems about as different from Lauren's business as I yes. could possibly imagine. <laughs> um, so can you give us a little bit of background of how this came to be and, uh, and where you are now? Well, trucking is a legacy industry. Um, it's extremely fragmented. 90% of the market is comprised of small trucking companies, either on operator or small fleets with two to six trucks. And there's really no technology. Drivers actually heavily rely on brokers to find them loads via phone calls, text messages, emails, sometimes even fax. Very, very inefficient back and forth negotiations. My family has been in logistics for 15 years, and we run and operate one of the largest distribution centers for TV. As uh, he just mentioned that we own about 26% of market share for TV distributions. The biggest challenge we have as a 3PL company is the difficulties to find qualified truckers during peak season. 97% turnover rate. Drivers leave the job for two reasons, low pay and forced dispatching, meaning dispatch a driver to a location that is less preferred. They're human beings. They have their own preferences in terms of routes, availabilities, rates. So after talking to tons of drivers, we came up with Next Trucking the first trucker-centric marketplace where we allow drivers to dictate what they want. Drivers post their availabilities and their own preferred routes so they can be connected with shippers efficiently. We launched the apps in October 2015, a little bit over two years old. The first year, we delivered $11 million in revenue. Second year, $30 million in revenue. We're a profitable organization. We just closed a round with Sequoia Capital in December 2017. It's a $21 million round. We're very fortunate with this blue chip VC. And we're really looking forward to the tremendous growth this year. And we are hiring rapidly. So if you are interested in joining a hyper-growth company and disrupt an $800 billion industry, come to talk to me at the cocktail session. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. So, Josh, uh, looking at your company, you've got a team of people who have worked in all the companies in content creation and ad serving and affiliate marketing. Um, <clears throat> where did this come from and where are you taking it? Yeah, well, those are uh, some tough acts to follow, but uh, I'll do my best. Um, so, really, what we were seeing in the market was in 2011, 2012, it became the barriers to entry to creating products really came down, and so it was easier and easier to ever create a product, develop an app, or create a course, or launch a Kickstarter, or whatever it may be. And so 
what we thought the challenge uh, was at that point was actually get sales and distribution of those products. And so we created a marketplace uh, to enable that. And we quickly saw that it wasn't enough to just create a place, uh, a marketplace for it. We actually had to get them the distribution. And so we found the best way to do that was through content. And so we started partnering with online media companies to get them um, either sponsor post or content within their sites. And so grown that network now. Um, and effectively, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we do, help, help business grow, whether you are uh, a product creator or if you are um, a con content creator. And we all know how challenged that space is. And so for the online media sites, what you're seeing is the, the deterioration of, of CPMs and the effectiveness of, of banner ads. And so they're all looking for new revenue streams. And commerce is currently the fastest growing revenue stream for uh, media companies. And you're set up so that you can white label that for people? Yeah, exactly. So we, we also built uh, white labeled shops for publishers. So if you go to store.cnn.com or shop.mashable.com, so we have that, that uh, e-commerce platform that's white labeled for them. We go and curate the products, uh, third party products. So not like merch, not, not, not merch like coffee cups or hats. It's actually, right. uh, it could be flex or you know something like that, a consumer-based product. Uh, and then we'll write content about it. It'll get uh, embedded in the CMS of the publisher. So not ad served. Um, yeah, so that's how it works. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you've got these businesses up and running. You're growing. You're building. You're hiring. Um, revenues are great. Um, you're entering into a competitive marketplace. Uh, you've got competitors either you know on the horizon or coming up. So Lauren, um, what do you see as what you're doing to preserve your differentiators and uh, prosper in that competitive marketplace. Yeah, one of the really challenging things for us has been we're creating an entirely new category of product, which means that often consumers aren't even familiar with the problem that they have. Um, lots of people know that periods are uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable to talk about, they're uncomfortable feeling, um, and we fundamentally believe that with a better product experience, that your period week becomes just the same as every other week. And what's been really important for us is going out into the marketplace and communicating what the problem is and having a brand that really, really resonates with our customers and a solution that is at least 10 times better than the alternatives on the market. And so we spent a lot of time in the early days really making sure that the product would perform at least 10 times better so that the brand promise would be fulfilled. And to keep competitors out, we manufacture our own product, we own our manufacturing line and all of the IP, um, but we really believe that the brand and category creation are what's going to give us the most sustainable competitive advantage. Okay, so if any of you panelists have questions that relate to what she's saying or vice versa, feel free to jump in. It doesn't always just have to be me. Um, so, Lydia, category creation. Do you feel like you're in category creation or are you going up against the Ubers and the Penske's and the rest of the world? Well, we're trying to be. So our goal is really to build the, the largest virtual fleets, trying to empower the small trucking companies so they can be competitive in the market. So uh, we call ourselves the first trucker-centric marketplace because we really build the products surrounding the truckers' needs. Because our industry, the number one problem is trucker shortage, right? We have a lack of 50,000 truckers. 
So we actually put a lot of efforts trying to build something surrounding the trucker's needs. We are the only one in the market that provides a free fleet management software for small trucking companies. Every driver makes $45,000 a year. They cannot afford a SaaS. So we give this web-based software to them for free. They can manage their truck, the driver, the trailer, equipment, driver's payroll on our platform while in we increase our engagement. And another thing that we're doing differently is we're the only one that implemented walkie-talkie for the driver because driver loves text and drive. But we don't want them to do that. So we created this walkie-talkie function allowing drivers to communicate with each other. Whoever has next trucking app can talk to each other. If you're in a fleet, you're automatically added to a group. They can chat, they can share pictures, videos, you know, voice messages, everything. So we're really trying to build something for the drivers that they will enjoy, and it was so simple that they understand how to use it. And of course, comparing with other competitors in the industry, we're probably the only one that is profitable. I mean, the tech startups. And because uh, we believe that it's really not losing money to the drivers to be competitive. We wanted to really build something to win their heart, to build a loyalty. And it will, we only onboard California home-based drivers at this point because we wanted to grow the supply and demand simultaneously. And we build lanes. So we go region after region. And that's very different from the rest of the market. So the social component is a surprise to me. I did not know that about your business, and that, that to me comes out of left field. So it's sort of the 21st century version of the CB radio. Yeah, exactly, yeah, they're still on CB radio. So where did that come from? It's really, you know, we're in Linwood, okay? We're not in Santa Monica, Venice Beach, we're in the ghetto. And it's really, but it's the center of logistics. We're surrounded by truckers. Our product team goes out to the warehouse and talk to the truck drivers. So we understand their needs very well. So that's how we can build a product. It's really servicing the needs of the truck drivers. And my marketing team is here. They're here to really support me and to critique me. So I have a stellar team. We have talents from not only the trucking industry, but also technology. So we are the only one that has both domain expertise. We have people from Apple, Blizzard, Snapchat. We have Siege Robinson, Warner, JB Hunt. So it's a combination of two worlds that make us very unique from the rest of the world. Okay, we will come back to that combination of two worlds because that sounds interesting. So Josh. Um, <clears throat> having seen the ad-serving world and the content and the creator world sort of take its course and margins begin to suffer and the rest, you've got something new. What do you do to sustain that and what do you do to uh, keep the competitors at bay? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for us, uh, in terms of category creation and competition, you know, when you think about uh, online media, it's really been about traditional banner advertising for the last however long the internet's been around effectively, right? And so our whole mantra with publishers is to enable them to monetize in a way that they're proud. Uh, today, too often when you go to a site, you're seeing sort of muscle pill ads or belly fat ads. And uh, I think that's just a function of uh, those are some of the advertisers that are paying the highest CPMs. And I've so, seen those sites. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, actually tell a narrative around innovative and upcoming products. So something you might have seen on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or perhaps, uh, perhaps a, a game or an application that, um, uh, 
you know, is an award-winning game, but just can't get the distribution because there's, you know, however many millions of, of, of apps and products in the App Store. Um, and so we're, we're trying to help uh, tell that story in a different way and uh, at the same time help uh, online media companies and, and content creators to be able to monetize that content in a, in a new and different way. So in terms of the content, articles, page views, video, what am I missing? Um, it's, it's mostly uh, uh, written content, so, so we're not doing a lot of uh, video yet today. Uh, we are moving, uh, expanding channels from just being online to actually doing on-air as well. So we're doing a lot of brand integrations with, uh, for now, daytime television shows like uh, a lot of, you know, the talk or the view, the real thing, shows like that. Um, and so we're, we're sort of starting to cross over to new mediums and it's not just about online, it's also on-air could be podcasts, can be radio, uh, and moving to di different streams. I think the biggest challenge is, as a product creator, uh, you know, even for us, what we see work is, is sort of the duopoly. It's Facebook and Google. Okay, fine, great, that works. Where else do you go? Where else do you go to acquire customers at scale? And when you really think about it, anything that's ad-served is working less and less well. And so what we provide is the ability for someone to acquire clicks, leads, customers through real content um, that's, that's actually embedded on a site or, or, or um, somewhere else. And so it's just, it's just more effective. Okay, thanks. Um, we know that you're all thinking about cocktails, so we're gonna try and keep this uh, on track and to the point. Uh, I've got sort of one more category of questions. And I've been working with emerging growth companies for about 20 years, and I've found entrepreneurs are really good at reacting to things that aren't necessarily according to plan. So, you know, I'm sure everything in your three companies always goes according to plan, but I'm kind of curious to know what in your experience has come the most out of left field and that's been the most surprising for you. Um, and Lauren, your company is a, presents itself as a very open and transparent and clear brand in a product category that has always been, at least to me, kind of oblique and a little bit hidden. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if there's been surprises in how you've gotten there and how you've tracked that. One of the, one of the biggest surprises to me was how valuable men's insights have been um, to educating our customers, to communicating value propositions to customers, to, to designing our instructions and our web product for customers. Um, I used to host focus groups when I was a solo founder. I now have two co-founders. And I invited one of my good friends, who's now one of my co-founders, who is a man to this focus group. And his takeaways were completely different than mine. And what I realized was that I was listening to my customers, but because it was my own problem, that maybe I was a little bit clo too close to it, and having an outsider in the room really brought a ton of value for us. And when you look at our team, we work really, really hard to be 50-50 men and women. We don't, you know, we like diversity. Um, men are diversity candidates at our company, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny to say. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the most surprising thing has just been to see these men on our team who are extraordinarily passionate about our mission and really care about supporting women and women's health and how their beginner's mindset has um, added a ton of value to our customers' lives. 
Cool. Uh, so, Josh, uh, I, I note that recently your company acquired another company, I think your first acquisition, uh, a company called Joyous. Um, in my experience, acquisitions, integrations always bring surprises. Yeah. I'm curious if there's anything there or around that that came as a, an, an eye-opener to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us was I underestimated the time and, and, and amount of integration work. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we estimated a certain amount and then it would just sort of, you know, just continue to expand and extend. Um, I think there's, there's been, you know, great benefits to it, but, but the challenges of, of an integration around an acquisition are, are much uh, larger than what I had anticipated. So that's kind of one thing. Um, the other quick thing that I would just mention quickly is in our space, one thing that was interesting, to, uh, a takeaway for me, is about maybe six, uh, eight months ago, something like that, Facebook changed their algorithm to uh, deprioritize fan pages and, and, and content from media companies. So it actually directly affected a lot of our partners and, and hence us. And over the last sort of first five years of the business, um, we, we get so much what I'll effectively call free uh, distribution from our content partners that we, we never really needed to pay Facebook. Um, and so when that happened, we saw a decent drop in traffic, and so that was obviously very concerning, and we immediately sort of turned on paid, which is exactly what Facebook wanted. Uh, and, and so now we're actually spending quite, a, you know, a vastly amount more on Facebook, but we're making five times more than we were making uh, prior. And so, like, I was always afraid to spend, because we're a bootstrap company, effectively, seed-strapped is what I would call it. Um, and so, so we just never needed to, and, and, and so now, I found out that it's a huge growth ch channel for us actually paying, and so the scale is, is tremendous for us. Okay, thanks. And so, Lydia, you had mentioned earlier bringing together two different worlds. Um, I, I recognize that, you've got a tech world, you've got a transportation trucking world, but you're also a woman heading this company in a trucking industry, which I have to assume has pretty much historically been male-dominated, so I'm wondering, you know, what has surprised you there in, in that journey? I think the biggest surprise I had is how difficult it was for our Series A fundraising. So, you know, most of the typical founders look like Ian Lauren, right? So, I'm an Asian and I'm an immigrant. I have accent. And uh, I'm a founder in trucking space. It's 96% of male. So when I went out for fundraising for Series A, it was very, very difficult. We delivered $11 million for first year. I think we did a fantastic job, and we were profitable. We had less than 20 people. We were using the money very efficiently. But it took me three months to close this round. Nobody wanted to fund us because I'm probably the worst combination of a founder to them because they, I got questions like, you know, how long have you been in the U.S.? <laughs> and uh, do you drive a truck? So I'm like, wow, that's, that's unexpected, right? So, um, but fortunately, in December 2016, we raised a $5 million round because, you know, our business is a high cash flow business. We have to pay our drivers um, within 48 hours, but we do have 30 days terms with the shipper. So we have to manage the cash very, very carefully. 
So after we closed this round, we didn't hire a lot more people because we need the working capital to cushion the cash flow. We were running a very scrappy team. I remember the first question that I asked my team, like a new hires, I was like, can you wear multiple hats? Can you do more things, right? You might be hired as a customer service, but I probably need you to cover loads. I probably need you to do billing for me. You probably need to help me with the Facebook posts. So, and I was doing billing myself. So the second year, we worked very, very hard. We really worked our butt off. And uh, everyone's working, especially during peak seasons. I think we worked over 20 hours per day, every single day. And uh, we delivered $30 million in revenue. We were profitable Q3 and Q4. And then we went out, and uh, we got multiple term sheets from first-tier VCs. Everybody loved us. So my point is, you know, it might be difficult at the very beginning. I don't know how many of you are entrepreneurs and how many of you are like immigrant like me. You know, people might not believe you at the very beginning. People don't believe in your vision, but don't give up. Because if your hard work will finally be recognized, people will believe in your vision if you deliver. So that's where we are today. So I hope it's inspirational for everyone. Okay, thanks. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left uh, before we turn to questions. So um, I just had a couple of thoughts as to all three of you are entrepreneurs. Um, I'm wondering if that has delivered anything for you on a personal level that you found to be a surprise. I got engaged to my co-founder. Congratulations. <laughs> he's, on, he's on the board now, but he's not operating anymore because we're getting married later this year. Coincidentally, my co-founder is my husband. And we're still married after two years. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, no, I'm not, I'm not married uh, to, to co-founder. Um, I think for me, um, the, the biggest thing is just I've been running the business for six years now, and it's been incredible to see people that have worked for, for, for us in the past and currently work for us move on to new jobs and do new things, start new companies, and, and just take what they learned uh, during their tenure at Stack and, and use that to level up in life and, and, and uh, even on personal journeys too. I think it's just incredible to, um, as an entrepreneur, to be a part of so many people's journey and to have an impact on it. You know, you can look back and see, you know, that they met their best friend or they met a partner or um, just the skills that they learned and took that to, to, to go to the next level. And it's over six years, you really start to see that. Uh, recently, the team threw a, an alumni event and, you know, they all went out and had drinks. And, and it was just, it's, it, it was really interesting and, and cool to be a part of that. Nice. Um, okay, so we've got, you know, three folks here leading companies that you're going to hear a lot more of. They're growing. Um, they're hitting it out of the park. Uh, so I want to thank all three of you for making time to come today and to talk to us. Uh, and then I'm going to open it up to questions from the audience. Well, how do you guys maintain, not only maintain, but continue to grow and expand upon your culture internally? I mean, everybody up there has had year-over-year explosive growth. I've had a good fortune to hear um, Josh Moore and you know, Lydia's inside story. And so as you grow, and people laugh and come gone, how do you know the growth culture that embraces itself to look forward to what business is about? 
Great question. So how do you how do you grow and embrace and sustain the culture as you're experiencing significant growth? So Lauren. We've cared a lot about culture from the beginning because I believe that is the I know I was talking about brand as being a long-term sustainable advantage, but just as an employer in a hot talent market, um, having a great culture is something that's important. But as a first-time founder, I found myself a little bit lost as to how to do it and then how to scale it. The best advice that I have there is clearly defined values, mission, vision. Values are very short, no more than four. Everyone can memorize them. And then build that into recruiting, the interview process, first day onboarding, PD twice a year, professional development discussions twice a year, um, and really reinforce it. You know, we let go of a couple people last week because they weren't living one of our values of not gossiping and politicking. They were warned, they, were, they received feedback, they understood, and you know, as, as the CEO, I take our culture very, very seriously and follow through on that. Lydia? Yeah, so um, I made a, quite a few um, friends who are founders in LA. So I usually I would go out with them because I wanted to learn from their experiences. So I asked this question to a few founders. I said, what did you want to do that you didn't do and you regretted that you didn't do that? Most of them answered the same thing. Like, I didn't build a company culture early enough. So fortunately, we got, I got the answer when we were year one. So, so we were really started to thinking about this question, how we can really build and scale the team with the common vision. So my experience is, my advice is, you really need to, just like Lauren said, you need to set the goal, the vision very clearly. Bring in the people who share your vision, who understand your mission of the company, and we have the common goal, then we can drive towards together. And also the kind of environment that we wanted to create in our company is really a fam family environment. People love each other, people wanted to support each other, so we are a family. And uh, we do monthly outing, and our marketing team does a lot of research trying to put people together, and we bring the people with a common mindset, and we like each other, we enjoy working with each other, we enjoy coming into the office every day. So this is something that is very valuable that we, 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 we're very fortunate that we started early with this. Josh? There's not a lot to add. I mean, they both, they, <laughs> honestly, they both nailed it. I, I mean, I would say almost the exact same things that both of them said. Um, culture is definitely a foundation. We're also very family-oriented where there's just the, the friendships are so tight-knit. People are hanging out uh, outside of work as much as they are inside of work. Um, and they just genuinely enjoy uh, being together, right? We, we, one thing we do, we take everyone on a cruise, a three-day cruise to Mexico every year. You really do have to go above and beyond in this market to, to really bring people together. And I think if you don't have that, it's a non-starter. It's just no one wants to work for a company anymore. Everyone wants to be a part of a movement, right? And, and I think if you don't have that, you're just fundamentally challenged as, as a company. Yeah, I think another thing just wanted to add, another thing that is very important is the trust. I have big trust in my executive team. I believe in their judgment, their plan, and I give their power to manage their own team, nurture their own team, and they're doing the same thing to their team members. 
so we can really empower the leaders and also the executives and all those employees of the uh, organization, then we can all move up. Excellent. Thanks. So I think I can trust that all of you want to be part of a movement to the cocktails. So I'm going to hand it back to Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.